Thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. Well, good morning everybody, both in the in the building and um, watching on screens. Uh, as Johnny said, I'm standing him for, in for him today because we didn't know last week whether he was going to be released from, uh, from quarantine or not. Um, but it also, as I got into today's study, it might be better that today's message is actually coming from somebody other than Johnny rather than Johnny himself. But I'll let you uh, decide that yourselves once, you, once you've heard it. Um, today's text is First Timothy, uh, chapter 4. Uh, I'm going to give a little bit of the background for those of you who have not been following all of the series, but I'm no doubt going to repeat some of the stuff that Johnny has already said. Uh, so it's from ter- First Timothy. Um, there's also a Second Timothy, but that doesn't mean that there's more than one Timothy. It just means that there's one Timothy who's, who has received uh, two different letters. Uh, and it is a letter, this book, uh, this uh, text that we're, that we're looking at today. And unlike many of the letters which have become books in the New Testament, this letter was written to the leader of the church rather than the whole church. Whereas books such as Corinthians and Galatians and Thessalonians are in effect open letters to the churches in Corinth and so on, this one is written to Timothy himself. It was written around uh, AD 63 uh, to Timothy, a young guy, maybe in his 30s, early 30s, and it was written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, maybe this time in his 50s. So it is the older, very much more experienced Christian writing and giving advice to his younger protege. Timothy had known Paul since he was a young boy. Timothy's mum was one of Paul's first converts uh, to the faith in Lystra. And as a boy, he had no doubt heard Paul preach the gospel. He may well have seen him involved in various of the healings that he'd done. He may well have seen him being stoned and left for dead. All very impressionable uh, experiences for this, this young boy. On Paul's second missionary journey, Paul had taken Timothy now a young man, along as a companion. Such was his relationship, such was his respect for uh, the young man. And it's Timothy, who's the young man of whom Paul says in Corinthians, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. There's obviously a very strong bond between Paul and Timothy. And so now Timothy, after several years of training under Paul, has been left in charge of the church in Ephesus. Now it's important to remember that at this stage the church wasn't a building. That wasn't going to happen until another 200 years or so when Christians had their own church buildings. The church was a collection of small congregations, each with their own elder or overseer, or pastor, or bishop, whichever translation you read here. And Johnny spoke last week about the qualities, the characteristics, which were desirable in such people. Timothy was the overseer, 
the leader, the pastor of all these smaller congregations that made up the church in Ephesus. And this first Timothy is the first letter from Paul to Timothy giving advice on how to run the church and the dangers to watch out for. So that's the background. Johnny has already guided us through chapters one to three. We've seen Paul's advice and thoughts to Timothy on issues such as worship, the role of women, the necessary qualities of leaders, and so on. In chapter four, Paul turns to Timothy himself. The qualities and lifestyle he should develop and promote to lead church, the church which is being left in his care. Are you ready for this, Johnny? For those of you who are watching on screen, Johnny's sitting on my right here. So if I keep turning here, it's not as though I've developed some sort of nervous tick during lockdown. It's that I'm actually trying to make eye contact with, with, with Johnny on my right. We're going to look at the chapter in three sections, from each of which I'd like to try to pick out one particular desirable characteristic of the church leader. We're going to be reading from the NIV version, but please feel free to follow this in this or in a version that you're more familiar with. Simon is going to be doing the readings for us, and the first one we're going to look at is chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. And just wait while he removes the mask and get it off his glasses, which he's tangled it up in. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teaching comes through to hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truth of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Simon. Okay, so verse 6 uses the phrase, a good minister of Christ Jesus. And this is the first characteristic of the Christian leader that we're going to look at. The message version calls it a good servant of Jesus. So what must Timothy, Johnny, or other church leaders do to merit such a description. Well, Paul's quite clear on this. He starts off this chapter by referring to the dangers posed to the church by false teachers and their teachings. You might remember, if you followed the lockdown devotionals through the book of Acts, that Paul said this very thing would happen. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 29, he says speaking to the elders as he's leaving the church, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. 
What Paul had warned was now happening. There appears to have been a whole variety of such false teachings prevalent at the time. Too many to go into here. Paul refers to two specifically. People being told that marriage was wrong and people being told to abstain from eating certain foods. Paul's view of the proponents of such teaching is damning. They are, in verse 2, hypocritical liars who have, verse 1, abandoned the faith and followed deceiving spirits. What does Paul require of the church leader here to be a good minister? Well, it's straightforward. Firstly, he should stick to, verse 6, the truths of the faith and the good teaching you followed. And secondly, still in verse 6, point these things out to the brothers, that is to the church congregation. Stick to the truths of the faith and the good teaching you followed and point these things out to the brothers. Marriage and foods forbidden by the false teachers are, according to verse 3, created by God to be received with thanksgiving. And Paul continues, everything God created is good and it's consecrated by the word of God and prayer. And therein lies the means for the good minister to carry out his role appropriately. The word of God and prayer. That's how Timothy will both know when any teaching deviates from God's truth and develop the strength to stand against it and point these things out to the brothers. So that's characteristic number one. Be a good minister of Christ Jesus. Our characteristic number two, back to Simon, to have a look at verses 7 to 12. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Thank you. <clears throat> so verse 7 says, train yourself to be godly. Good minister, godly lifestyle, will point three shortly also start with a G. Well, you'll just have to wait. But please don't use the next few minutes scouring the next part of the text looking for a G. It's really not that important. <clears throat> Train yourself to be godly. To illustrate his point here, Paul uses the illustration of the athlete's physical training, an image he uses elsewhere in Scripture. To succeed, the athlete has to train, to practice to cut out some things and build on others. 
and this has to be sustained over a substantial period of time. Many of us put considerable emphasis on physical fitness as part of a healthy lifestyle. Paul, in verse 8, shows that there is indeed value in this. In the message version, it reads, workouts in the gymnasium are useful. But there's a but. But a disciplined life in God is far more so, making you fit both today and forever. And, I like this bit, exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness, please. His key message to Timothy is just that. Exercise daily in God. Or as I started this point, train yourself to be godly. Godliness is our spiritual health. And according to verse 8, it holds promise both for the present life and the life to come. Paul is challenging Timothy to be committed to cultivating a godly lifestyle just as committed to cultivating that godly lifestyle as an athlete is to their sport. So what does that mean in practice? It seems there's no comprehensive list in scripture of spiritual exercises to be practiced to cultivate such a lifestyle. But the key activities might be said to be meditating on God's word, prayer, giving, serving, giving thanks, That's what Paul is advising to Timothy in order to fulfill his ordained role as a leader of God's church. He continues in verse 11, command and teach these things. Verse 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Well, that bit clearly doesn't matter to Johnny anymore. But we do have many young adults in positions of leadership within the church for whom that's an important message to hear don't let anyone look down on you because you're young and he concludes as part of his emphasis on a godly lifestyle in the second part of verse 12 and this is the really key bit set an example for the believers in speech in conduct in love in faith and in purity Wow, that's some expectation. Setting an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Characteristic number one, be a good minister. Characteristic two, cultivate a godly lifestyle. Characteristic three, back to Simon, verses 13 to 16. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy, when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. So in this final section of chapter 4, there are a number of shorter sentences, each containing an instruction from Paul to Timothy. 
Devote yourself to preaching and teaching. Do not neglect your gift. Be diligent and give yourself wholly. Watch your life and doctrine closely and persevere in them. All of them are really important points. But I think the underlying message here to Timothy comes just outside that list of instructions. And it's in verse 15. He starts off, be diligent in these matters, give yourself wholly to them, and then this key bit here, so that everyone may see your progress. Progress might not start with the letter G, but it is a word we understand. It's in common usage. A dictionary definition is this. It's forward or onward movement towards a destination. Progress. And therein lies the third part of this advice Paul is giving to Timothy in terms of his role as a church leader. Apparently, the Greek word in the original text for progress is a military term. It translates rather awkwardly into English as pioneer advance. And it describes the soldiers who go ahead of the troops, clearing away obstacles and making it possible for others to follow behind them. Paul, quite simply, is exhorting Timothy as church leader to progress spiritually. And if you really want a third G after good and godly, then he could grow spiritually. And what, according to Paul, makes such spiritual progress or growth possible? Well, firstly, we're back to the vital importance of Scripture. Verse 13. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. In choosing the word devote, Paul is saying this time with Scripture should come first and not just when everything else has been done. I'm not sure what this version means when it says the public reading of Scripture. The message version translates the verse as stay at your post reading Scripture without using the idea of public. In either case, the importance to the church leader of immersion in Scripture is clear. What else facilitates spiritual progress or growth? Well, verse 14. Do not neglect your gift. Or the message version, that special gift of ministry you were given when the leaders of the church laid hands on you and prayed. Keep that dusted off and in use. Maybe there's something of a reprimand from Paul here, an implication that Timothy may have been neglecting to use and practice the gift he'd received. Because Paul makes the same point again at the start of his second letter to Timothy. The leader needs to practice the gifts received. And finally, for this spiritual progress or spiritual growth, verse 16, watch your life and doctrine closely. Paul said something similar in Acts chapter 20. When taking leave of the elders at Ephesus, he said, keep watch over yourselves. It reminds me of an old Ishmael song I used to play in the car on journeys when my daughters were both very young. And the line went something like, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful you don't fall. That, apparently, as I've learned uh, later in life, also comes from Paul in, in 1 Corinthians. So that's Paul's advice to Timothy, the young leader of the growing church in Ephesus. Be a 
good minister of Christ Jesus. Live a godly lifestyle. Make spiritual progress. Grow spiritually. So that's the yardstick. Good minister, godly lifestyle, spiritual growth. These are the criteria applicable to the overall leader of the church. In this letter to Timothy, in our church, to Johnny. I thought it would be useful for those assembled here this morning to give a little thought to how well Johnny's doing against these different criteria. And I've created some scorecards. So, is it, or is it, or is it, I'm joking, of course. But from my perspective, I do have to say that I find it difficult equating blinkered allegiance to Liverpool Football Club with godly lifestyle. And I struggle with the frequent references to Biscoff and other sweet treats because they seem to be rather more indicative of growth of the non-spiritual variety. If this were a normal Sunday morning, I would be able to look from my vantage point here and see not a collection of would-be bank robbers, but rather a sizable number of young adults, male and female, committed and growing believers, assuming and practicing roles of leadership, most of whom came through the youth work that you, Johnny, have led so devotedly, so passionately, and so faithfully for so long. Good minister, godly lifestyle, spiritual progress, the evidence suggests they were there by the bucket load. I wasn't part of this church when Johnny was appointed as pastor. I don't know anything about the appointment process, but I would be astonished if the leadership team, in reaching their decision, hadn't observed very keenly your work with the young people and elsewhere in the church and decided that you had in abundance or had the potential to to develop the very qualities Paul had been laying down for Timothy. Johnny and I have known each other a long time, far before we joined this church, right from the early days of the now defunct Barrow Youth Trust. As a family, we've been coming to this church since January 2015. And throughout that time, we've been struck especially by your passion for Jesus and making him known to others, your willingness to devote time to develop relationships, your constant service to others, uh, and encouraging of others to serve. And I'd like to use this privileged position that I've got here this morning to say thank you. Yeah? Good minister, godly lifestyle, spiritual growth. Only God sees everything, but certainly from the chads, you get three yeses. So is that it? We've seen in this chapter four of 1 Timothy what Paul lays down as the qualities required in a church leader. And we've dabbled in trying to apply them to our own church leader. But I think, to finish, this application can go a step further to 
everybody, to ourselves as Christian believers. Good minister, we won't all become church leaders. But to know and immerse ourselves in God's word so that we'll recognize false teaching when it comes our way and to be able to always be prepared to give a reason for the hope we have. Godly lifestyle, we won't all become church leaders. But to set our own example to our families, to our neighbors, to our workmates in speech, in life, in love, in faith and in purity. Spiritual growth, we won't all become church leaders, but to closely watch ourselves and what we believe and to exercise, just like an athlete, the spiritual gift or gifts we've all received so that others may benefit and the church built up. I have to say, I do think it's not just Timothy and Johnny who can learn from what Paul has to say in chapter four of this letter. Shall we pray? Lord God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the clarity and we thank you for the truths. We thank you for the qualities that have been highlighted as desirable in the ministers of your church, Lord, and we just thank you. We thank you for all that Johnny brings to leadership of this church, all the gifts he uses, all the commitment he shows, all the love he displays. And Lord, we just ask that you will bless him and you will protect him and you will keep him safe and allow him, Lord, to do more and more of the work that you would have him do here. And Lord, I pray for ourselves that we too can be good ministers leading a godly lifestyle and growing spiritually. And Lord, I ask that in your name. Amen. Thanks, Jeff. And, uh...